0: move my chair forward a little so don't bump against this all right it is 801 in texas welcome to the show my name is samuel and my name is Gabriel. is gabriel and we are glad you're joining us thank you for tuning in if you have not subscribed or if you have not followed us it's the stereotypical thing for us to ask you to subscribe and follow us. We appreciate your donation. Mm-hmm. Um, Jump on that bandwagon. Yeah. Today we're going to talk about time management. So it's going to be kind of an interesting subject, and it's kind of going to go into three categories. And we'll have like a little many sub-debate in there where we might disagree. So, Gabriel, do you want to first just overview the episode and kind of go over what exactly we're talking about in a vague manner?
1: Yeah, no, it is kind of vague, but I think when we get to some examples, it will seem kind of tangible. So we're talking about how time kind of plays into discussions and arguments because it's this concept of that we really don't have an unlimited amount of time, so we kind of have to narrow down what we focus on when we discuss and argue. Mm-hmm. And so part of that is also being reasonable. And so we go into to time management, and we also talk about how when we talk about arguments, the arguments we need to bring up need to be you know, relevant. They need to be also reasonable in the sense that they can't be exaggerating because at that point, you're using yeah. up time and you're then you're not getting to the core of the argument. I think that's kind of the idea behind
0: it. Right.
1: And yeah. so I think that's kind of really the crux of this podcast. I love that word.
0: Mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I do want to say one thing right before we jump in. Uh, this is not in the show notes, so sorry. Throwing my co-editor off or not my co-editor my co-host thank you um one thing i was going to say a lot of this i think might just be in the context of a normal conversation because in in formal debates there's the time management issue where you literally have a clock um but also in conversations there's an issue with time where it's kind of like in in just informal conversations people have to be going and doing things so you don't have all day to talk Uh, you have to talk for a limited period of time Mm mm-hmm
1: I think yeah. that part of the, the thing about it is that we can many times tell when we're talking too long about something. Like a lot of times the other person gives signals to us that they're like tired of this certain argument. You know, we should we should move on. I know that in moot court, which is a form of debate, you can tell when a justice because it's kind of like you're arguing to a mock Supreme Court justice. <laughs> um, and in moot court, you can tell when the justice just doesn't buy your argument and you're just supposed to move on. And right. so sometimes you've discussed something for so long that you really should just move on. And I think that happens even when we're discussing with friends or just strangers or any,
0: anybody really, right. if I'm discussing with, with my co-host. Alrighty. So today let's go ahead and jump into time management. Talking about time management. The first thing we want to talk about is hyperbolization, I don't know if that's a word, but the idea here is hyperbolizing something, which is hyperbolize, hyperboles are things that are exaggerated. In in poetry, it's actually a rhetorical effect. Like it's something poets can deliberately do. I think poetry Mm -hmm. is kind of ridiculous, though, because, Mm -hmm. you know, teachers are always like, you know what, Sam, you shouldn't use the period in this spot because it's grammatically. Sorry, I hit the thing doing quotation marks. It's grammatically incorrect. Or they'll say things like that. Capitalization is in the wrong spot. Sure. Mm-hmm. that comma is in the wrong spot and then poets go along and they do all the wrong grammatical stuff they don't even write sentences and people are like that's beautiful i know it's like it's art <laughs> i mean it is actually pretty uh, I, i'm liking poetry more and more you yeah, know I, I i it's... think
1: i think it's one of those things where the poets know the rules and they break it in such precise ways they break the the conventions in such precise ways that it does but create it, something yeah really creative.
0: it's it's crazy to watch Mm -hmm. but we are not talking about poetry today the reason Mm -hmm. we talk about poetry is because hyperbolization or hyperbole is a rhetorical effect but gabriel why is it not a good rhetorical effect in debate
1: yeah so there's a couple reasons
0: now i know i know
1: you you kind of tie it to time where if we focus on hyperbolizing then it does use more time and it doesn't get us to kind of the core of arguments is that kind of your position
0: That might be one reason. I haven't formulated a super specific reason, though. Okay, because I'm still missing the exact link, but how I see it is that when you hyperbolize,
1: you kind of seem unreasonable. And when it comes to a discussion with others, it's very important to seem reasonable. Mm -hmm. Well, it's important to not only seem reasonable, it's important to be reasonable, (laughs) but you also have to seem reasonable. Yeah. And so part of that is that you have to in essence, be empathetic to the other person's position. And so one part of that is to make it so that you see the other person's positions or at least you comprehend their points and then you also talk about your position and its effects in a reasonable way. So for example, if you're talking about a tax increase or a tax decrease, it's very easy to kind of hyperbolize the other person's position and be like, Oh, if we increase taxes, all businesses will die or something crazy like, oh, nuclear war will happen if we increase the federal tax income right. the income tax by 5%. And it's like, I, I mean, that's one thing that you could make an argument for happening, but it really doesn't seem reasonable, mm-hmm. especially to people who want to lower taxes. Yeah. And so what you really should do is you should try to talk about the more direct and reasonable reasonable effects of the change and in that way it would lead to a more productive discussion. Yeah. And then similarly, you know, people who are like, Oh, we should lower taxes again, they shouldn't be like, if we don't lower taxes, the world will end because of the deficit.
0: <laughs> well, it's well, kinda
1: I don't know how that would work. Yeah. Like businesses, et
0: cetera. The businesses. Yeah. Like
1: businesses will thrive if we if we lower taxes. So if we don't lower taxes, then
0: businesses will die. It'll be the the, covid business for the next 10 years if we introduce this tax plan. Exactly. Yeah. We. So I don't know if we can say his name. We'll cut it out in post if our local government professor doesn't want us to. He was explaining that things like conspiracy theories – and this is – I kind of want to go down an avenue here. Yeah, yeah. You can like, just call him our government professor. Our government, our government professor. No, no, no. He's awesome. Shout out if you're in the audience tonight. Uh, no, he, he was amazing because he was explaining conspiracy theories can be really, really damaging to a reputation. And so they can lead one to an ad hominem really easily. Because ad hominem is a logical fallacy where you say, well, Mr. Y is saying this. And because I don't like Mr. Y, I think it's false. Mm. which is a logical fallacy, even though sometimes saying that a source is biased can be a reasonable thing. Like we mm-hmm. can reasonably say that it's a biased source, so I'm not going to account the information. There's a difference between saying that and an ad hominem, which I don't know that we'll get into here. But he was basically saying that the problem with uh, a lot of conspiracy theories is that they're so outlandish that people people don't really... They, they hear one person talk about a conspiracy theory and they reject everything else that that person says. Mm-hmm. Like, the reputation is just tarnished. And so that's another thing where you were talking about the reasonableness, and that's kind of a problem maybe with conspiracy theories.
1: Yeah, because, like, I can just imagine one conspiracy theory. So I know there's a conspiracy theory that the moon landing is fake <laughs> or was fake, and... Right. Uh, it's an interesting one because there is some there are some interesting arguments on the conspiracy <laughs> side, and in no way do I subscribe to it. But the and by the way, when I say subscribe,
0: <laughs> speaking of subscribe, <laughs> yeah, that's Gabriel Medina's twenty twenty one quote.
1: Yeah, but anyway, I think sometimes it could be easier to maybe if you were on one side of it, if you were on the conspiracy side, to instead of just like argue, oh look at all these facts, the moon landing was very fake. We've been <laughs> lied to our whole lives. NASA is is a is a fraudulent organization. The government is not trustworthy. Like instead of saying all those big things, maybe if you were to believe in that uh, conspiracy theory, maybe you would just say something along the lines of, "There were some questionable things in that moon landing," or maybe some of the evidence provided by NASA is suspicious. And, like, I think that's a more reasonable thing to defend, a more reasonable proposition to defend. And it's something I think that people would think is more reasonable than to, like, go into, oh, we shouldn't trust our government, like, off the bat. Yeah. And so I think that's really how people should take arguments, even even when it comes to that, even when it comes to more crazy ideas, then that should happen. But I think it's more relevant when we're talking about very reasonable ideas but are still kind of radical compared to the mm-hmm. other side. And so I know when it comes to you know politics which we we will avoid at all costs I think <laughs> but when it comes to politics there are arguments for both sides that many people think re- that are reasonable like 50% you know of the United States thinks one side is reasonable and 50% mm-hmm. thinks the other side is more reasonable. So it's not exactly 50%,
0: but, you know, give or take. Give or take. It could be exactly 50%. Give or for take all a million. million. Yeah, we don't know. I mean, it's hard to collect data on that because... Because mm-hmm. you literally need to collect data on everyone. You
1: could get a statistically significant a yeah. uh, sample size or a sample size with... I feel like we're getting into a See, tangent here. You could get a large enough sample size to be, like, pretty certain you know the statistic, but it could vary by region, et cetera. Right. So.
0: See, uh, yeah, so I want to circle back to time in just a second, um, but one other thing I was going to mention here is kind of the reverse side of this with hyperbole. Because I, I wouldn't say hyperbole is a good thing mm-hmm. in that uh, exaggerating things, uh, not only is it kind of uh, untruthful, also it makes you seem unreasonable mm-hmm. and takes away from your credibility. But one other thing I was going to say is I think there are scenarios where we're on the reverse side, so we're listening to someone say something that might seem really outlandish, mm-hmm. and we, we maybe underestimate it. So one mm-hmm. thing I'm thinking of is back in the day during the uh, nuclear threats that were happening with the Soviet Union and the United States, uh, the Cold War. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like I, I was watching a movie about it. It was like I'm not going to go into the movie too much, but it's kind of like that scenario must have been terrifying for people. And it's one of those things where if you don't take that threat seriously, even though it's really extreme, like nuclear wars are one of the most extreme types of scenarios you could imagine. Mm-hmm. If you don't take it seriously, you could be seriously unprepared for something. So there's also yeah. an element where we, we shouldn't necessarily just reject an argument because it's outlandish. Mm-hmm. I don't know how, how to balance that because there are some conspiracy theories that are just ridiculous and we can probably reject them. But there are some there are some things that are really bold claims that are kind of accurate. Yeah. So, I, what do you think would be a fair balance in that area? That's hard because I, I, I feel like through that question on you, but
1: I feel like we should really focus on what we can directly prove or directly back up. I think that's one reason that conspiracy theories are hard. We usually have some evidence, but then we make a lot of kind of guessworks or jumps. And I think that sometimes we can can hyperbolize to talk about principles or, like you said, to make sure that people understand the significance of something. But it really has to be something that we can pretty directly back up. So I think a good example might be Martin Luther King. He called himself a radical. In his letter to the Birmingham, from the Birmingham jail, not to the (laughs) Birmingham jail. That'd be kind of weird. (laughs) That would
0: be circular.
1: Yeah. But anyway, the thing about him is that he really was kind of extreme to some. But I think that his principles, like what he was backing up, what he was saying with, was so strong that he really was reasonable if you listened to him. And then, even though to some, again, you know, some of the things he said, were extreme, it was one of those things where how he communicated his information was very respectful, you know, it was very peaceful, and it was very uniting. And so in that way, he also was able to kind of give these very, I would say, countercultural ideas in a communicable and reasonable way. So I think there's some ways you can kind of balance it. Like, imagine if someone was talking about a conspiracy theory but seemed, like, extremely reasonable, like, extremely scientific. We would probably start to think about it more. I think a lot of times, though, we have, like, this stereotypical conspiracy theorist with, like, crazy hair. Yeah. Looks like they didn't get sleep for, like, the past (laughs)
0: weeks.
1: (laughs) And they're, like, waving their hands and pointing at (laughs) things. I don't know. (laughs) Look over here, everyone. yeah no it, I think we have like this this stereotype of a conspiracy theorist that like everything about the person is not reasonable., yeah. and then there's the conspiracy theory to add on to it. <laughs> but I also wanted to say one other thing because I think I, I kind of want to go back to like the idea of of hyperbolizing, right? Because I think people do have a purpose when they hyperbolize because if i think something is really bad then i will hyperbolize the principle mm-hmm. so that people understand the significance yeah right and i think i mean i don't want to make this political but there were like people especially early on when it came to like climate change etc and they were saying that like oh the world's going to end at this date and it was very close and it was like it didn't end at that date and i think what they would say is that Even if, you know, it wasn't absolutely backed up, it was important for us to back up that principle Mm -hmm. that we needed to take action.
0: Yeah. And also not to bring up another political example, but you could also take like COVID-19 because if you're like from the stance of a news reporter, if you're a news reporter, you're going to get more views when people are more afraid of like a big emergency Mm-hmm. It's kind of like people will pay more attention to the news if there's a world war happening or if there's some sort of crisis in COVID. People would pay a lot of attention to it. Mm-hmm. And so there's an incentive to make it hyperbolized and to make it bigger than it seems. Yeah. So not yeah, to get exactly. into politics, but you yeah, know, but I mean, if you want to talk <laughs> about politics. Yeah. And it's kind of. Yeah, I, I guess to summarize it. So a lot of what we've been talking about is. It makes you less reasonable and harms your credibility. It also makes it harder to actually apprehend what actually happened mm-hmm. and to acquire the truth because it kind of makes the scenario a lot more kind of, I don't know, it makes Bobby. it harder to understand what happened. Yeah. And then the other thing is, like we talked about time management earlier, it's just that you, if you hyperbolize things, it just might be harder to pick the most important arguments. Watch out for hyperbolization.
1: Yeah, can I mention one other thing, though? Absolutely. I think a lot of times when hyperboles happen in everyday conversation, it's not in any way malicious. Yeah. And if anything, I think what we should do is we should read into it a bit more. Because I know that when it comes to debates about popular things or discussions about popular things, mm-hmm. people really are hyperbolizing. I think in many times to try to get the person they're talking to, t- to see their side. And I think yeah, there's yeah. this huge gap between empathy and discussions or empathy and understanding in discussions. And so I think people hyperbolize because I want you to understand me so then we can actually make progress in this.
0: <laughs> That's a really good
1: point. I I know that we want to provide clear standards, but sometimes we have to look at things on a case-by-case basis. right? And hyperbole sometimes isn't actually false. Like, we think it's hyperbole, but then it actually comes true. So, for example, you know, during the founding of the United States, some people were like, come on, the British did this thing once, they're going to do it again. You've got to be kidding me if we don't do anything in response, right? And some people were like, come on, you're, you're hyperbolizing, you're, you're saying things that haven't happened yet, why would the king ever want to do this to us, etc.? But it's like, then more usurpations did happen. Yeah. And then similarly, there were people who knew that what Nazi Germany was doing was going to lead to severe catastrophe. And yet at the same time, many people were like, come on, you're talking about world war? That's not going to happen again. We just had a world war. We took it down. We set up these structures. We won't have another one. And then boom, look what happened. So it, like to, yeah. to most, it seemed like hyperbole. you know, To the people in Poland who were like, guys, this is very, very, very bad. We got to stop this right now. like, Or else something very bad is going to happen and then no one did anything. Right. They can say they were right. Obviously, it doesn't fix any of the the harm. But I think that's the show maybe why it's natural sometimes, but also something to be wary about that just because someone brings up a quote-unquote conspiracy theory or something that seems radical, it doesn't mean it's necessarily wrong we do have to weigh each argument on a case-by-case basis and yeah, especially yeah. when we understand that people are coming in most cases with good intentions we should try to understand it better
0: yeah man the the poland example just it's like ugh. yeah but yeah that's a good point and with that i i know you may be thinking sam that doesn't relate to time management and i'll be perfectly honest we don't have to relate to time management this is our show you can't tell us no i mean it sort yeah. of does cuz we talked about time management but we also talked about things that were and
1: really also to time we management. can be creative and say it relates to time management in the sense that it fits in a certain <laughs> time in
0: our episode yeah and it's a part of our episode if this show is like 30 minutes long then we didn't manage our time well in which case it does relate to time management so sorry to interrupt your program everyone Still here, I'm Samuel Cavana, but we decided to split this episode up into two parts. So we're going to release, I think this is episode nine, then we're going to release an episode debate, which will be a short, and then we're going to release episode 11, which will be the second part of this discussion. Stay tuned, don't leave because we're splitting it into two, but we just talked for a really long time. With that being said, you may have heard me mention my sister. I don't think I ever have, but she's here to say a few words. So, Mary Lou, please, uh, you have the floor. Water is wet. <laughs> No, I can't believe I let her say that on camera. Okay, well, see you guys in the next episode. Bye.